You are listening to the Savage Fincast, episode 18, Giant Problems. Chicago. A criminal mastermind called Overlord held our city in his terrifying grip. Ordinary cops were losing the battle against Overlord's super freaks and mutants. Then, a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. Now we have a fighting chance. Now we have the dragon. This is the Savage Fincast, coming at you again with a new episode. I'm uh, Jim Purcell, and I have a frog in my throat, so if I don't talk very much this episode, you'll understand why. And I'm Craig Olson, and this nasally voice is stuck with me. I'm not sick. This is just the way I sound, unfortunately. Um, I'm Adam Pruitt, and I have the rage virus, so you never know what's going to happen there. (laughs) Well, um, let's get right on to it. Um, Eric Larson news. Eric will be selling an exclusive Savage Dragon print at the uh, Calgary Comics Expo. Uh, The Expo is on April 26th through the 28th. Um, Eric will be appearing at the Jack Kirby Museum table, uh, which is booth 1523 through 1524, and will be selling an exclusive Savage Dragon print limited to 250. Uh, The print features a Jack Kirby homage based on Jack Kirby's Captain America piece found in uh, Jim Storinko's History of Comics book. Uh, If you don't know what that piece looks like, it has uh, Captain America jumping towards a bunch of Nazis, and I believe Bucky's in the background, and this new new print that Eric's made to homage it uh, replaces, uh, uh, replaces Captain America with Dragon, and I believe Bucky with Malcolm. It's a very cool piece. I've I, I had the pleasure to get a look at it, and I uh, will link it, I believe, uh, in the news post below this episode, so you all can enjoy it. Yeah, and I think probably by the time we get this posted up, I think the expo would probably be over. I think it's this weekend. Is it? Yeah. yeah so you probably just have to look it up on eBay or whatever if you want a copy. I don't think it's going to be available anywhere else but at that expo unless maybe if Eric has extras afterwards. I don't know what's going on with that or if it's getting donated to the Curry Museum or whatever, but check out eBay. It's a pretty um, cool piece. They he replaced, yeah. you know, Captain America's shield, uh, he was holding up his shield to, you know, repel the the fire of the the Nazi guys firing on him and it's just Dragon's fist like knocking the firing the bullets out of the way and and uh it's it's sort of one of these if Jack Kirby had drawn Dragon uh type of pieces and we've seen a couple there's sort of like that in the past that uh, Tom Shirley doing his Dragon is you know it has a little of that Kirby in it and and um but this is like an actual um you know, wonderful Kirby sketch that turned into a uh, really, really awesome poster that I'm just nerding out over. And so, yeah, uh, you should check it out. For the next bit of news, uh, there's going to be a new Savage Dragon logo, it seems like. Uh, 
during the news segment of the last FinCast, we mentioned how Eric hinted of a big change happening in Savage Dragon beginning with uh, issue 193. So it also looks like 193 will be premiering a newly designed logo. Um, Eric posted the following on his forum, quote, When talking to the folks at Image about the book's new direction with 193, it had been suggested that the book get a new logo, and I resisted the idea. I like the Savage Dragon logo that I have, and it's been refined over the years to a point where I'm pretty happy with it. But the thought was, it's a new direction, books get new logos all the time, and it doesn't have to be forever, so it's on the table. I tried messing with the trade dress like I did with one with uh, 76, but nothing seemed to be different and distinctive enough. So I'm trying out a number of things, and a few talented letterers are doing the same. Nothing is settled on yet, and even when something new is chosen, it won't necessarily be that way forever. It's likely that it will be in place for at least a year. End quote. Yeah. So, that, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean... My initial thought was, this isn't the first time the logo has, you know, been changed, tweaked slightly. I mean, uh, during the the Savage She-Dragon arc and uh, Emperor Dragon, granted, those particular cases, it wasn't a significant change. Whereas this sounds like it's going to be a wholly new style of logo. For the Osama issue, he had that uh, throwback kind of logo, too. Yeah. Yeah, and 188 is going to have that um, Silver Street Comics-looking logo. I'm curious if he's going to go for a retro style or an ultra-modern style or just, you know, something else. He posted up some of the um, ones that he's been mucking around with on, on Facebook. Oh, he did? Um, it's, yeah. The ones that he's posted are ones that are all rejects, basically. And, and, and so he's probably not going to be unveiling like whatever he decides on until you know the issue comes out or is solicited or whatever um because i think he wants to you know keep messing with it and also probably surprise people and um and just from the little that's that i've seen um there have been a ton of versions that he's gone through a lot more than what he's posted up on on facebook and um there's a lot of like sort of pros and cons, but um, bottom line is, um, you know, hopefully it's reflective of the this sort of new era of the book, and um, maybe it'll attract some new readers. Maybe it'll get some people's attention, and if people hate it, or if Eric ends up, you know, thinking it's not a great idea, as he said, it doesn't have to be permanent, and um, so. Oh, it's it's pretty cool though. It's, I mean, it's you know, it's in the 180s of the issue. You look at all you know, pasts and present you know, Marvel and DC books, and they've all had you know, logo changes here and there, and yeah. that have lasted you know, years to decades or whatever. But um, you know, it's just a testament of how long this book's been around, how cool it is that it's you know, it's getting to that point, like you know, the other older big two books where it's you know going for a logo change now and it's just neat yeah i just pulled up the the facebook post with all the different uh variations um these look like uh, a couple one of them looks like a really old school marvel style like we saw with the uh Osama bin laden issue the other ones all just seem to be variations on the the the, the current trade, logo trade dress yeah. more like trade dress uh variations 
and this one throwback to like the uh, 60s Marvel. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if any of these are really suggestive of what direction he's looking to take the book, but uh, interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on. Um, Eric posted up the uh, cover to the upcoming uh, Savage Dragon issue 191, uh, Dread Knight Returns. Um, the issue's uh, description for solicitation has not been released yet, but the cover shows Dragon in his cell with Lorella and uh, Dread Knight's lurging. Well, lurging. Dread Knight is lunging at them. Um, and the background, so there seems to be some kind of prison riot going on or something like that. Um, which sounds exciting and fun, and we've all been sort of waiting to see if that was going to happen since Dragon uh, went to jail. And uh, I'll be excited to see what happens here because uh, Dread Knight's kind of a, a fun character, and he's a little bit more complex than just um, you know generic bad guy. And he's got a lot of ties to different eras of the book, with his armor being sort of the precursor to the Overlord armor and um, he ran that whole fake election where he tried to get Dragon and his running mate and uh, culminated in issue 124, which is one of my favorite issues of the book ever. And uh, so I have kind of a soft soft spot for Dread Knight, and I'm looking forward to seeing this issue. Well, I'm curious if this is going to be a, a Dread Knight, or at least a Dread Knight armor's last hurrah, you know, as a way to for Eric to finally tie a bow on the whole Overlord armor thing. Because if the Overlord armor's out of, out of commission for good... And this uh, prototype version still bopping around. It might be an excuse for him to uh, put it away for good as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm actually the, more, the most curious thing I find about this cover is uh, seeing uh, Lorella in the, in the cell with Dragon. Presumably, you know, she teleports in at some point, and whatever relationship they have, you know, whether she's they're coming for revenge or what have you. I, I'm really curious about what the dragon people's, uh, you know, future is going to hold at this point, considering the most recent events last issue. Yeah. It's, it's a great cover. It's, there's a lot going on. You know, like you said, you got the issue with Lorella, you got dread Knight, which is the major villain and, uh, he's back in the spotlight. And then you see that riot going on in the background. So it makes you want to know what's going on there. Just a quick reminder. Your ass was the one who got dark dragon to go after Kerr, right? Or was that RR Richards? My ass didn't do anything. <laughs> boom, boom, shh. I think it was your ass. Okay, so that means your ass has a hard on for getting rid of Dragon. I just can't remember exactly why. If it was only because Dragon messed up his chance of being president, or if there's something else. It's been a while. I gotta I reread those. Issues. That's the main thing. He ruined his plans and everything. Yeah. And for the listeners, Dread Knight is uh, Ronald Winston, your ass, if you didn't know that. <laughs> um, so the next bit of news, I uh, want to give out a congratulations to Darren Stevens, who was the winner of our Ultimate Vanguard Collection Contest, uh, which was the contest we used to promote uh, episode 16 of the FinCast, which featured uh, Vanguard's co-creator Gary Carlson. Uh, Darren won 27 issues of Vanguard-related comics, which included, you know, uh, multiple miniseries, about a year's worth of Savage Dragon, which featured uh, the last uh, Vanguard serial, 
Um, and they were all signed by Eric and Gary and uh, artist Frank Fosco for the ones that Frank Fosco uh, penciled. Um, so it was a really cool contest. I want to thank everyone that participated and, uh, you know, commented on, on our uh, episode. And, um, yeah, so uh, congrats again to Darren Stevens. Hope you enjoy the comics. Um, they should be on, your way, on the way to you uh, as I speak. And thank you to everyone else, everyone who participated. It's it's good to right. you know see some, um, you know some interest, some response. Right, and actually, thanks to Gary and Eric and Frank for agreeing to sign all the books. And um, anyway. Adam, thank you for dealing with all the shipping and moving them all around and getting everyone set up with it. It was it was fun to to put it on. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do it again. We'll have some something in the future where we have a no, uh, something other than a no prize. <laughs> um, I also wanted to give a couple of uh, Savage Dragon related shout outs to um, some things that you guys should check out if you're listening. Um, Scott James, um, artist on uh, several Savage Dragon backups and uh, uh, currently the colorist on the Zeke backup. Uh, he's coloring uh, Frank Fosco and um, He's got a blog with a lot of Savage Dragon related art, uh, and most people in the in the fan community and the boards uh, know Scott. Uh, he's a really nice guy, and he's currently got a Kickstarter going for a graphic novel that um, he's drawing and, and co-created uh, called "The Case Files of Harlan Falk," uh, and it's like a a guy who's a monster negotiator. And uh, the art looks really cool. Uh, they've got a million different rewards in there basically down to add whatever rewards you want. So if you see something on there, some combination of um, something that um, uh, you'd like, uh, just message them and they'll put it on there. Um, basically, uh, he busted up his arm uh, semi-recently, and he's soldiering forward with all these projects that he has, but uh, he's taken on extra help uh, to get this book done in time, and, and they need to uh, raise funds to pay their colorists which is actually um nikos and mike uh from dragon and uh they're going to help out on the coloring and and basically finance the completion of the book um which is should be coming out uh from marcosia in um i don't know fall winter i think they're saying right now anyway um if you're interested check it out on kickstarter it's called the case files of harlan falk um f-a-l-k uh, Scott's a really good guy, and they could definitely use the help. That's um, cool. So I'm wondering if they all hooked up from, you know, working all on Savage Dragon or Reading Dragon, because it's pretty cool that they're all involved. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not sure, but um, I they did also do. Uh, Nikos and Mike also worked on another uh, strip that Scott did that may or may not be showing up in, in Dragon one of these days. Uh, I hope it does. It'd be cool if it does. Um, cool. And uh, the other thing is um, Savage Dragon, uh, a prolific Savage Dragon letter writer and fan and uh, co-host of the very first uh, episode or two of this show, uh, Nick Justice, uh, has a new issue of his creator-owned comic, Jesus E. Lee. It's the third issue. Um, you can order it now from comicfleamarket.com. Um, this is a really uh, kind of fun, oddball uh, superhero book um, that is 
his love letter to Savage Dragon very much. Uh, it's provocative and it's funny, and uh, Nick is actually quite good with uh, big action and dudes flying at you with extreme fists foreshortened and, uh, um, you know, sort of a definitely love letter to, to Eric's work, but while making it his own thing. Um, cool. And we talked about it a little bit when he, his, his first issue came out and, and, um, this is also a little bit of a, uh, uh, shameless self-promotion because I, I worked on this issue. I, I lettered some of it. Nick does pretty much all of the, the sound effects by hand. He's an excellent sound effects letterer. Um, and then I basically did the dialogue and then, uh, me and David Seltzer, the guy that colored Vanguard, uh, colored the cover for for jesus ely and we got a new version of his we put together a new version of his logo and uh it, it looks real sexy it's nice and uh it's just a fun book and if you want to support a uh, fellow dragon fan and funny book creator uh head on over to comicfluemarket.com and, and order jesus ely i'm sure we can post all these links on the site the, yeah for sure i'm, I'm gonna send those to you guys right now actually Cool. So, uh, marching right along, uh, our fairly new segment, uh, Savage Dragon Trivia. Last episode's question we asked, besides Eric, what other artist, there are possibly more than one, has had art printed in the main feature of the Savage Dragon ongoing comic? We are not counting covers or backups. and We screwed up. We got a few... Yeah, we screwed up. We forgot to mention we are also not counting Jim Lee's issue thirteen, which uh, I thought. You know, I know we said it was gonna. Be, you guys must have been scratching your head when we said you know it's gonna be a hard question because you know the, the Jim Lee issue thirteen is kind of blatant, and I just overlooked it because in my head I don't even really count it as part of the series. Yeah. Um, but um, we did screw up. But anyway. Um, I just wanted to read a few of the responses that we got. Um, got a response from, and I might butcher his name. I think it's Mike Makuch or Makic. Uh, he says, uh, "Hey guys, I have an answer to the trivia question posed in the latest FinCast. I've been reading Savage Dragon since the beginning. Yep, I got them all, so I didn't have to look this up. Jim Lee did issue 13." That month, all the image creators swap books. Later, nine months, maybe Eric released his own issue 13. Uh, he said at that time he wanted to complete run of Savage Dragon, and the swap issue bothered him because it interrupted his otherwise perfect run. Love your podcast. Keep it up. So, yes, Mike, you're right. And again, we screwed up. Um, weren't even thinking of Jim Lee's issue 13 because it wasn't on our radar for, you know, the reasons you mentioned. Um, so we should just accept that answer anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even so though you, we'll elaborate and tell you what we were thinking. <laughs> yeah, we'll accept it. But we screwed up. And the same thing goes to uh Ben Underwood who wrote in uh the one that pops into my head is Jim Lee from that weird alternate issue thirteen that Eric went back and redid to keep his run complete. I enjoy the show. I'm glad you guys are out there doing this. It's fun hearing the thoughts of other diehard Savage Dragon fans. So uh, thanks for the props. Uh, you're also right. Issue 13, again, we screwed up. Um, we also got a letter from uh, 
Michelle Fife, our good friend from uh, we interviewed a couple episodes back, who does awesome work with his Copra comic, and uh, you'll remember from Twisted Savage Dragon Funnies. Uh, Michelle writes, uh, "Oh man, does the Megaton issue count? It was in the 99 cent uh, reprints. Well, we said just in the main story, so it doesn't count." But he said, if not that, I can't think of anything else unless someone drew their own character in the barbaric wedding issue or someone's holding a comic book on panels and it's drawn by someone else. Don't tell me it's uh, the Gene Colan, Neil Adams Riffin 124. Consider me stumped. <laughs> so you didn't get it. Um, the person that did get it, but we disqualified him for being Savage Dragon's uh, editor, of course, is... Gavin Higginbotham, who guessed um, it was uh, issue nine of Savage Dragon, which uh, features um, Dave Johnson art. And Dave Johnson drew a few of uh, Super Patriot's guns in that issue. It was kind of after the Super Patriot miniseries. And I think, you know, Eric was wowed by the you know Dave's interpretation of, of Super Patriot's guns. Eric kind of just draws them as like tubes and uh, Dave Johnson made them all wacky with batteries sticking out and all sorts of different contraptions that look kind of neat. And I think, you know, Eric wanted to kind of convey that in the, in the regular series. So Dave stepped in and, and drew a few of the guns on uh, super Patriot. In addition, we talked to uh, Eric, and he added a few uh, following tidbits. So if you guys don't mind, I just want to read what um, Eric uh, emailed about um, different people you know, having some kind of art in the main story. So <clears throat> excuse me. Eric goes on to say, Todd McFarlane inked a few buildings in Savage Dragon number 50. It's page four, panel one in the far background. Um, so there's one uh, one instance. Um, he also says both Andy Smith and Ben Herrera's drawings were traced off and redrawn. Um, it's not a case of the hands touching the page. This is more of a case of swiping. I've swiped a few panels along the way, but I don't have the list handy. And for the listener, what Eric's referring to there is there's a few panels from Andy Smith's art from uh, the Mars Attacks Image miniseries that came out. That was used for, I think, Savage Dragon 39. I think it's the one where, you know, the, the Martians are attacking and 37. Savage Dragon. But, all right, 37. Sorry about that. And then uh, there's also a few panels from Ben Herrera's art from the Star miniseries, which was referenced for Savage Dragon uh, 32 and 33 for the Star uh, origin, which was retold in the pages of Savage Dragon. Um and Eric went on to say, I did paste up Jason Pearson's drawing of uh, Alex's car in issue 48. Um, that's from uh, the Jason Pearson uh, miniseries. Uh, what's the name of that miniseries again? Blood and Guts. Yeah, Blood and Guts, which is awesome miniseries. So, uh, and Eric also says, and I started using some backgrounds from a book I picked up in Japan, which is why the airport looks so much more elaborate in 48 than I've been doing previously. Um, a couple of houses were pasted up from flyers. Uh, I picked up from open houses in my old neighborhood as well. And he said artists are unknown for that. And he said, uh, also there's a Bill Griffith drawing of Zippy the Pinhead on TV in issue 65. 
And yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. That's so funny. I always thought he knew <laughs> that. <laughs> it's, it's actually an original. Um, and then in his redrawn uh, issue 13 on page 10, panel 1, behind Widow, Larry Martyr drew one of his beans from his book Tales of Bean World. So he goes on to say, to answer that question, I guess, Larry Martyr, Todd McFarlane, and Dave Johnson were the only ones to actually draw on a page in the main feature of Savage Dragon. And Dave Johnson just penciled a few guns, which Larson inked. So there you go. A little long-winded, but we like to be uh, thorough. Pretty elaborate and obscure, but uh, if you do read, like... um the credits page for Savage Dragon number nine, uh, there's a nod to J- Dave Johnson there, and, and uh, it may be elaborated on in a, uh, like a, a letter section or something somewhere. So, um, yeah, that other stuff I don't know how you would know unless you talk to Eric, but <laughs> um, but it's cool to know. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, so little... this uh, this episode's question. Um, since uh, we're going to talk about lettering in Savage Dragon during this episode, we thought we'd uh, come up with a trivia question about lettering. For this episode's question, we're asking you, which is the only issue of Savage Dragon that has featured the work of three different letterers for the dialogue of the main story? We're not counting sound effects. So it's got to be in the main story, and it's got dialogue... Featuring the work of three different letters. And Savage Dragon 13 does not count. Savage Dragon 13 <laughs> No version of count. Savage Dragon 13 counts. No miniseries. It's got to be in the main story. Um, send your responses to savagefincast at gmail.com. And we'll uh, sing your praises on the next episode of the Fincast. Um, maybe if we get a winner, I'll uh, come up with some kind of prize or something. I might have a few extra little goodies. Uh to send out so uh think hard about it um and let us know again it's savagefincast at gmail.com we look forward to hearing from you all right so next uh, i'm going to talk a little bit about the history of lettering in savage dragon um, because we're seeing a little bit of a sea change with the 186 and um beginning of a, a new era and i thought it'd be good at good time to sort of look back on uh, the different guys that have lettered the book over, over the years. Um, um, I'm not sure when Eric first collaborated with Chris Iliopoulos. Um, it might have been on Spider-Man or it might have been uh, Marvel Comics Presents a little bit before that, but um, Chris definitely worked on some of the adjectiveless Spider-Man issues that Eric wrote and drew, and um, um, Eric was a big, big fan of a couple of books in the 80s that were kind of formative on his impression of lettering. And one of those was Walter Simonson's Thor, which was lettered by John Workman. John Workman did a ton of, you know, uh, work with Walt Simonson. If you've read a Walt Simonson comic, it was probably lettered by John Workman. Yeah, um, doesn't Simonson choose pretty much to just work with... Yeah, I've only seen a few really that I've gone, hey, wait, weird, Workman didn't letter this? You know, like for years I actually thought Simonson just lettered his own stuff before I was sort of aware that letterers were people. Um, yeah, because it just matches with yeah, everything he's done. Like, I read, <laughs> oh, hey, there's this Superman comic that, you know, has the same looking uh, style. And, and, and uh, they 
they do mesh really well together, so it's easy to see um, why they, they work together so much. Um, um, also formative was Howard Jenkins' American Flag, which is lettered by Ken Brusenak, and um, American Flag employs this uh, lettering as design, sort of. It, 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 if you've read any of American Flag, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, so I, mm -hmm. I urge you to just go do it because it'll be easier than understanding me trying to explain, but um, making it really a part of the art on the page, and um, it kind of flew in the face of a lot of um, um, traditional thinking about lettering, which is this, you know, really not supposed to be noticeable, and you're supposed to read it and not see that it's there, not focus on it, and uh, um, he really made it a part of the art in American Flag, and, and it's one of the reasons that's, that it's a beautiful book. Um, and, you know, ditto uh, John Workman with Simonson, he's doing these big, big effects that would cover an entire page, and just kind of big, powerful effects, and um, anyway, um, Eric, I'm not sure exactly um, how the um, how the beginning of his working relationship with with Chris Iliopoulos played out, and maybe at some point we can talk to Chris and and, and get more info about this. But um, he definitely pushed him to uh, to do that kind of work, to um, integrate the work, the lettering into the artwork as a design element, and to do it big and powerful. And mm -hmm. um, so they worked together for for years. They um, you know, he brought him over uh, to Savage Dragon when they started Image, and um, Chris lettered, um, Chris hand lettered the first. He did the mini series. He did um, almost every single one of Eric's uh, spinoff books, highbrow uh, and and related books. Um, I think one of the only ones he didn't do was after a while uh, on Ninja Turtles. Um, the, the Ninja Turtles that Gary Carlson was writing, uh, Chris lettered the first 12 or 13 issues, and then Pat Russo lettered the rest of the series. But um, pretty much everything that was that Eric was doing. Um, and Chris, Chris designed a lot of the logos as yeah, well. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he designed the Savage Dragon logo. Um, and, you know, it's a variation, a, a version of his Savage Dragon logo is still, you know, on the book today. And so it's, it's lasted. And... Um, uh, he lettered the first, um, so 106 issues of, of the ongoing series. Um, and um, just as an aside, we were talking about Dave Johnson. And uh, I think if you really, really want to um, see hand lettering, that's really amazing. It, you need to read that Super Patriot miniseries. Uh, either one of them will the the first two miniseries uh, will do, but especially the first one that was um, um, written by Keith Giffen, I think, and yeah, by Dave Johnson, and with Super Patriot being the kind of character that he is, just shooting all the time. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, there's just effects constantly, and clicks and, and yeah, clicks that, and yeah. blam blam blams and zaps 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 and bracka 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 and um, super. When I read Super Patriot it was just kind of like a bomb went off in my brain. I, I couldn't believe that somebody <laughs> was doing this. And, you know, again, referencing that, that uh, issue nine of Savage Dragon with, that had Super Patriot in it, um, I think when I read that, I thought it was a, a font when it would 
have like the blam that looks the same. Yeah, yeah, and there's like 500 yeah. blams in one panel. I, and then it was only when I looked closer and you could sort of see that, you know, you could see the edges of the pen marks that you go, Oh, this was drawn by like, Holy shit. Like this must have yeah. taken forever. And uh, I, I have, I have a same story. I know I've probably said this about three times already and listeners probably want to strangle me, but my first piece of Eric Larson art was from the Savage Dragon Superman uh, crossover that Eric drew, and it's a page where Howard Neisman's shooting his uh, revolver, and it's just blam, 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 blam right. in the background. Right. And you look at it, and you can see all of the, you know, the the line marks that's measuring to make them like perfectly square and tight and evenly, you know, spaced. And all the work that goes into the sound effects, that's what opened my eyes because I was like you. I thought it was just kind of like a – I don't even know what I thought. I don't know if I thought Eric just kind of drew it in real quick or whatever. But you know, all the work that gets put into to making a sound effect, it, it looks it looks intense, labor-intensive. I don't know if it really is, but it's pretty impressive looking when you, when you see it on original art. Yeah, and I mean he's got to be breaking out the – you know the T square and he's got to have like 5 billion rulers to, to get things so straight, but also yeah. he's capable of doing extremely expressive, um, you know, um, kind of rougher effects. And, and he sort yeah. of has this, this rough style that he does whenever there needs to be something that's just kind of, a um, you know, less, less hard edged sound and, and more like a, um, uh, more ugly, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, and I remember reading uh, in a letter section, um, it was probably early on, somebody was asking, you know, does, is these sound effects done with fonts? And, and Eric said, no, Chris does every, you know, each and every one by hand and he curses my name with each one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, long-time readers of the book will know that, um, you know, Chris Iliopoulos is also a cartoonist and, and, um, he for a long time had his comic strip desperate times running in the back of, of dragon. And that eventually was its own, its own comic. And, uh, he's had multiple strips over the years. Uh, um, some of them had been web, web comics like misery loves Sherman and, um, um, and some of them in, have been in other books and, um, he's, um, you know, turned into developed a real career as a, as a, uh, cartoonist. Um, and that was sort of, um, one of the reasons why I think he stepped away from the book. Um, after the early hundreds, you know, he had also built up a lettering studio. Um, I'm not sure if they're exclusive to Marvel. I think, I think they might be called virtual calligraphy. He designed, most of Marvel's digital fonts, right? He was like the head designer for Marvel's digital fonts from what I yeah. understand. Yeah, that's basically my understanding as well. And, um, and, um, virtual calligraphy is sort of his version of, um, comic craft, you know, like Richard Starkings has comic craft studio and there's a number of people that work at comic craft and, you know, letter books in, uh, for that company. And, and it, right. they develop typefaces and, and, and fonts and they make logos. And, um, that's what Chris's company does too. And, right. um, um, so he's, you know, he's got a lot of other work going on. And at this point in the industry, almost everything is lettered digitally. 
and he's yeah. also working on doing his own stuff, doing cartooning. And I think at one point, um, you know, Eric had a conversation with him, like, I don't know if it's worth it to you to keep hand lettering this book. You've got so much else going on and, and this is a lot of work and they sort of agreed. And, um, so after, uh, I think one of, one of six was his last issue. So, yeah. Yep. Um, so Eric brought on John Workman, um, uh, which and, is amazing. It's which, like, yeah, it was you, you hate to see Chris go, but it's like now you now you get to see John Workman on Larson's. right exactly. Now you we got to enjoy the guy who you know sort of was largely responsible for the style that you know Eric wanted Chris to do in in Savage Dragon at the beginning, and and um, and Workman lettered about fifteen or so issues, and then we're getting into the era where Eric is publisher. And the book is coming out on a, a much more irregular basis. And he's working on a bunch of other projects. He's coloring stuff for other people. He's coloring a little Jack Staff. He's coloring some of Howard Chaikin's American Flag reprint. Um, and um, so issue 121 was lettered digitally. And um, I think that was right. by Eric with Chris helping him out. Yeah, I think it's it's Chris's font, right? Right, it's Eric Chris's font. It put looks, it together exactly. It looks like um, it, it's based on Chris's, uh, you know, um, hand lettering dialogue, um, uh, and then the following issue, one twenty two, um, I think maybe it didn't come out for almost a year after that because this was when the schedule was really irregular. Right, and, and like you said, Eric was publisher. And right, and one of the so. the main reasons he got it, he you know passed the baton to Eric Stevenson was to get back to doing dragon full time. And, and, um, then at, I th so at issue 124, I th and I just got to say, just to stop. Yeah. I, I did not like Eric lettering with the digital. I, it came out a little weird and I know, you know, it was his first time using yeah. Chris's font and stuff, but it looked a little big and yeah. The kind font's of weirdly way too spaced. Big. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I've, I've uh, said, and I uh, yeah, I'm, hope they do um, re-letter that issue um, when it's reprinted because it it it's just all uh, issue one twenty one. Um, um, right. It could be a little better. And yeah. um, but so meanwhile, Eric's also been. Um, um, I was sort of remiss. I didn't mention this <laughs> because I've been sort of focusing on the letters, but um, um, his longtime colorists um, that have been on the book since, you know, practically the beginning as, as well, departed at the same time that Chris did, uh, Ruben Rood and um, Abel uh, Moten. Or Mountain, right. Um, and, right. And so he's, he's at the, the same time this stuff's going on with the lettering, he's trying out different colorists and, and Bill Crabtree, uh, from Invincible and, and, um, the six gun, um, were, was on the book for a bit. And so by issue 124, Eric was trying to do everything himself. He was coloring it. He was lettering it by hand and, uh, occasionally using, you know, a couple of sound effects from, uh, from, uh, John Workman. But, um, so some of us, some of us say it was the greatest it's ever been. <laughs> yeah. That, the lettering of Eric's, you know, received very mixed reviews, and uh, I think uh, um, 
with good reason. His, his lettering is very rough and amateur and, um, you know, you he, say rough really, and amateur, I say full of life and energy. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, well, let me, let me, let me elaborate because I mean, amateur in the sense that he hadn't been lettering, you know, as a pro for 20 years, he'd lettered right. his stuff in graphic fantasy and Megaton and, you know, a few little things here or there. Um, and so his lettering in issue 124 looked essentially like the stuff he was doing in 1983. And um, I loved it, even though I say it's amateur. I loved it because it was rough and, as you said, is full of life. But most of all, I loved that he made the book himself, like it was all him. And I know that's always been his goal, is to be able to yeah. do the whole thing as a one-man show. And it's really hard to do to have a monthly book, if especially if it's in color. And um, I think it's really so, the color that makes it hard. If it, didn't, if it was yeah. a black and white book, it'd probably be easier. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, there are definitely some some uh, folks that do that, including you know Stan Sakai with Usagi Ojembo, um, and um, you know Dave Sim on Cerebus. He had. Uh, Gerhard helping him with uh, the art, but it, it that was you know still mostly a one man show for for its entirety, and um, it just is something that's really special to get, you know a a it's a very sort of you know not mainstream comics, but it's it's uh, really special to have one person's sort of singular vision or whatever you want to call it. Um, it was it was cool to have like the inside cover just said you know. Created by Eric Larson. That right. like the, the right. whole credits was like yeah by Eric yeah. Larson. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know uh, the the complaints of you know well the complaints were well, well you're not John Workman you're not Chris Iliopoulos those are absolutely valid complaints. Um, well, uh, that's what hard, it. Well, it's hard to go from that to right. anything else. Um, and I think what his idea was was he's going to work at it and get better at it. And what ended up happening was having to do the extra jobs himself was taking too long. And, um, you know, he stepped away from being publisher and, um, there was a long gap between issue 131 and 132. And, um, when 132 came out, uh, actually he had posted preview pages from 132 that he had lettered, but by the time the book was finished and, and, and had come out, he had John Workman back uh, on the book. And right. um, Workman continued on the book for several issues, but his schedule was too full. And Yeah, that, it wasn't that long. Right? Yeah, was... on 136, which was the second part of the PRISM crossover, um, John Workman basically had to quit like during the issue. And um, Eric Larson... Called up Tom Orzakowski, who, um, you know, if you're talking about some of the greatest living letterers, John Workman and Tom Orzakowski are right up there. And Tom Orz is somebody that everybody knows from practically every single X Men comic that Chris Claremont wrote, right. every issue of Spawn. Um, he designed the Wolverine logo. He's, you know, been in the industry for years and years, and he's a, a veteran um, and an amazing hand letterer. Talk about an iconic logo too, that Wolverine logo. Oh yeah. It's an amazing logo. Yeah. 
And uh, um, so for that first issue, he actually aped John Workman for the rest of the issue. So it didn't, um, you know, the flow didn't break up too bad. And um, and then, you know, in 137, he was doing his own style and, and uh, he's been doing the book um, ever since. And I, I love Tom Orzakowski's lettering. It's it's a really different kind of thing from what Chris Iliopoulos was doing at the beginning. Um, he didn't really have these blocky, like hard machine looking effects as much as more, um, more expressive and kind of fluid, uh, is how I would describe Tom's stuff. Um, but I love yeah. it. And, and eventually they got into a really good groove. And, um, one of the things about hand lettering is it's not just that it, you know, it looks nice and natural. And, and if you get somebody who's really accomplished at doing it, um, it's, you know, aesthetically beautiful. Um, but it also, in the way that Eric works, um, he likes having the lettering on the boards. Uh, he likes having the lettering on the pages themselves because he roughs out the pages and he, you know, sends them off to be lettered and they come back and he can sort of adjust his composition better than he could. If you letter a book digitally, you know, there's always going to be art that you're covering, even if it is art that doesn't matter. Um, and so it always kind of looks, no matter how good it is, it always looks like there's a disconnect between, um, you know, the art and the lettering because they weren't done necessarily like with each other in mind totally. If you know what I mean, even if the artist leaves open space, um, it, it, if you're lettering on the boards, you have a balloon, the artist doesn't need to draw a crowd scene under that balloon. Right. You know, and, and, um, it's just, it looks a lot more natural, all that stuff. So one of Eric's big things about wanting to keep hand lettering was just to keep the lettering on the boards. So flash forward to today, um, and the lettering is, um, as of issue 186, um, he, Chris Iliopoulos is, is back on the book and uh, it's being lettered digitally. And so that decision, when I first heard it, I was like, whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was very against it. Um. But hearing him explain it, um, I'm actually really on board now. And a couple of the, the reasons are, um, for one, he can get the lettering on the boards if he wants. He can have the, um, after lettering is done digitally, he can have that printed out onto the blue line board and ink onto the board with the lettering already there. And so he can still sort of have that aspect of it. Uh, another big, big thing is hand lettering takes time. And yeah. he wants to not just get the book back on schedule, but to get the book onto a better schedule than it's ever had, really. Because I, I, I don't know if it, uh, Savage Dragon's ever been 12, 12 times a year. Um, it's right. always been at, like, at its best, like nine, ten times a year. Um, and he's trying to develop a workflow that he can get it out 12 times a year. And so what was happening with a couple of these issues that were taking a little while to get out, and you know, part of that is the shipping time it takes to send lettered pages. Part of that is, you know, the time it takes to do hand lettering. It just takes a longer time. And then part of that has nothing to do with lettering. It's just, you know, other issues with the book that might make it late. Um, meanwhile, this is going on in Savage Dragon. Eric is working on Supreme and Chris Iliopoulos is lettering Supreme 
you know, they have like, he sends the issue to Chris and he gets it back the same day and he goes, well, shit, maybe I should be doing this on dragon, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, Chris is a machine. He, um, I think this latest issue, um, that's not out yet. Uh, 187 of Cyber Dragon. I think Chris lettered that in a few hours. Um, yeah. Which is it's crazy gotta fast. be cheaper, right? I mean, having a guy hand letter each page versus, you know, just yeah, using sure a computer too. Bot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the final thing is Eric's goal is to eventually be lettering it himself again. And so Chris is going to be helping him out for a little while. And Chris is probably going to sort of show him the ropes of what he needs to do digitally to make it work. And, um, this is the, ultimately the reason why I'm totally behind this move to digital is, is because if Eric is doing it himself, then I'm that it gets it closer to his sort of dream version of the book and, and how I do think the book should be ultimately. And so what do you say? So Chris is going to teach him the ropes of hand lettering kind of, or no, I think he's going to be lettering it digitally. Um, unless, oh, okay. he, can, unless he can get fast at, at doing using like Chris's font or digitizing his own font or something, or uh, ultimately he wants to have uh, a font that looks like his, um, gotcha. His writing. gotcha. And, and, um, I think for the time being, you know, Chris's stuff um, resembles uh, Chris's hand lettering, and um, and so it's not unfamiliar to Savage Dragon. And you know, there's things about it that I don't like as much um, that right. I think are a function of probably just of it being done fast, of it being done crazy fast. Um, yeah. But also, ultimately, it's a thing of digital versus hand lettering, and. I'm always going to prefer hand lettering, but if it means that Eric can be doing everything on the book again one day, then I'm all for it. Yeah. So I mean, looking at looking at 186, and we'll talk about the the issue this episode. I, we, we've just been spoiled with you know years and years of uh, seeing hand lettering, and uh, it, it just feels a little colder. I mean. You know, all on the dialogue, all the letters are going to be the exact same. You know, all your H's are going to look the same. And, you know, you can see that translated. So a person who's not that big into lettering or anything like that, I'm not the biggest guy into lettering, but like I said, I've been spoiled so that I've noticed. And once your eyes are open to it, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard not to unsee it. Yep. But to the casual comic reader, I think a lot of people don't even think twice about it, which is a shame, but... Um, yeah, it's I think not the thing that to a lot of people. Yeah, which you know, it's a shame, but that's the way it is. I think the biggest thing that for me, and I, I talked about this briefly last episode, is the sound effects. I mean, like you said, you know, all the different artists have letterers have their own little way of doing sound effects, and you know, you get to learn the way their sound effects look. You know, you had like you know, Tom Wozniakowski's kind of got those sound effects with the looping connected o's and stuff like that and mm-hmm. they just look really organic and fluid and then you know if you look at 186 compare 186 to like a the hand lettered one and you look at the sound effects and they just kind of look cold and stiff i mean like i said the casual reader is not really going to care but when i look at them i can they just kind of look like cut and paste to me they look a little stiff uh they don't look horrible but they don't look as good as you know something that's hand-drawn 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, and your and opinion. I, I think it's it's um, because you know Chris has this you know studio and he's been doing this for years and years. Uh, he's done some of the you know my favorite lettering that I've ever seen in comics, and and I think um, you know that these are being done quick. Um, yeah. But moving forward, they they won't be as much. And well, and how many comics out there actually still really use effects like Savage Dragon? Anyway, I mean, are people really concentrating on sound effects as much as? Well, no, definitely not. There's been a big move away from it, you know, in the last ten years, and and uh, so that's true too. Is is there's not uh, the kind of you know effects heavy books that you might have had in the eighties, and. Uh, it's funny because it, you know lettering's like anything. You know, if you want to look at it like an analogy, you know, I live in Philadelphia, and you look at all the old buildings built, you know, in the early 1900s or, you know, 1940s or whatever, and you look at the carvings and the mm-hmm. intricacies of the buildings and everything like that, and then you look at something that's built today, and it's just, you know, it's just pretty straightforward. You know, it's it's there's not much detail in it. You know, it's done quick and fast and and cheaper. Um, yeah, it's and a that's font. Kind of the way, it's not a design. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The kind of the way you know. Like a lot of things have gone. Lettering has kind of gone that way. And when Savage Dragon first started, you know, I, I think every book was pretty much hand lettered. Um, we didn't really start seeing digital lettering until you know right around when you know the beginning. I think was probably the early '90s. People were dabbling in it, but yeah, dabbling. And and definitely, it wasn't mainstream until probably around 2000 and it must have been uh, about the same time they were dabbling in digital coloring right yeah absolutely yeah yeah probably those liquid computers took a jump you know and and you started doing everything on computers yep but Um, um it's just amazing to see the transformation from now you know can you name like another book that's drawn by somebody but lettered by somebody else hand lettered by somebody else yeah i know there's guys out there hand lettering their stuff but they're usually the artists that are drawing their own stuff they're kind of hand lettering it too but uh, there are many pros out there like you know tomo or, or john workman that are hand lettering you know yeah other people's comics the, the, there are a few but they're the most of them are um not on like the mainstream radar as much um even stuff that's somewhat mainstream like archie i'm not sure how much of archie is lettered digitally now probably most of it but at least fairly recently um they had actually john workman on um sonic and maybe mega man or something and and he was doing it by hand um and wow and i've seen a lot of his stuff now is is digital and he has actually a fairly good like a, a font that mimics his dialogue lettering really closely so, so i'm not know, actually like, sure if he's still doing that or not but as of a year or two ago he was i know one of the reasons why 186 went to digital was you know at the time i think they said tom was booked with other jobs i just pulled so up, i just pulled up the latest issue of a uh, sonic universe and mm-hmm. it is lettered by john workman right Sweet. right yeah so if if Tom isn't hand lettering anymore and he's booked up, what is he doing? He's just digital lettering with his he digital you know, digitized most, font. Most stuff he he has some hand lettering gigs, but they weren't as um, it, it's it's definitely not the the bulk of the work. Um, and is he 
is he working for one of the lettering houses or is he like no, on he's his free, own? He, he's freelance. Um, and he, he does other sort of design work that, that is not all, all having to do with comics too. Um, yeah. And cause it's scary of all these letterers. It's like, if everything's going to digital, what are these guys, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they, they, all... they have to, they, they have to move as well. And, and, you know, Tom's been, um, you know, um, some of those early issues of Spawn are some of my favorite comics to show people in terms of lettering because he does some really cool stuff in those. Um, and he's been lettering Spawn digitally for almost or more than 100 issues now. And so, I mean, that, that made a change a while ago. And yeah. um, I, uh, you know, Todd Klein, I think, uh, is is 100% digital now. Um, there's a letterer um, named Clem Robbins who he's the guy who if you want to hire somebody who whose stuff looks hand lettered but is digital he's the guy he's got yeah. a um his his uh, dialogue font or body copy font is um thousands of characters instead of having one or two alternates for you know common eyes or L- yeah yeah he yeah. He, he he'll have you know for like an a or something he'll have dozens of them and, and just randomize it. And, yeah, instead yeah, of making that's like pretty a cool. ton of different fonts, he kind of concentrates on just adding to his existing one. And he does a lot of work for Vertigo, and 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 uh, um, so I'm sure most people who are listening to this have have seen his stuff, uh, whether or not they knew it. And this was a guy that for years I thought he was still hand lettering because it's so wow. convincing. Um, and uh yeah he's he's amazing so yeah clem robbins is definitely uh, worth looking at if, if if people are interested in that stuff awesome awesome um i have one more little tidbit about lettering but if i've gone on too long i can skip it no let's go for it it's been interesting um well it's just kind of interesting that um you know we've talked a little bit about how um Robert Kirkman is a huge Savage Dragon fan. And, right. uh, you know, when Kirkman was first doing his own books and he was self-publishing and stuff before he had, um, you know, Invincible and, and Walking Dead out, you know, he lettered everything himself. And his, he, he lettered stuff, like his influence was Chris Iliopoulos in Savage Dragon. And so he sort of carried through that, you know, John Workman via Chris Iliopoulos style. Um, on Invincible. On Invincible and, and yeah. uh, especially on Invincible and, and his superhero comics. And So he was lettering like what, like Battle Pope? And... Yeah, yeah. And actually in his Invincible and Walking Dead in the very beginning, he lettered um, um, before he, he got uh, Russ Wooten on all his books. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. even realize that. Yeah. Wow. And, and Russ, when he took over lettering for Kirkman – he pretty much letters in the style that Kirkman was doing uh, on, on those books. And I'm sure it's like, you know, I want this to look like this style. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you read a hundred issues of Savage Dragon and then you go and read, you know, the first few issues of Invincible, you can see that like, boom, you're like, Oh, he's the yeah. Savage Dragon. Like he's totally the, the channeling, uh, these, this lineage of letterers and, uh, um, another connection there is Russ Wooten has uh, worked for Chris Iliopoulos in virtual calligraphy at Marvel, and they've done work together uh, for Kirkman and for for uh, some Kirk- Kirkman's Marvel books and and 
a lot of other stuff. And um, he's got a, a much wider, Russ has got a much wider range than just the style you see in Invincible. Um, and he's very good at what he does. It's just kind of interesting that how those looks and that um, aesthetic carries over the years. And I, I have no doubt that, you know, Ken Bruzenak and John Workman have guys that they would point to that they were aping in the 80s and um just as artists and writers have their influences and so anyway it's interesting oh, yeah. to see how yeah. that stuff carries through and, and is in other books that people are reading and might not even have made that connection well and i know a lot of those guys are probably looking at the old time influences like joe rosen and Artie simak and gasper saladino you know. all these guys yeah 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 so cool cool thanks for uh enlightening us adam yeah thanks for indulging me hopefully we haven't lost all our listeners no i I think that's really fascinating and if you didn't think lettering was that fascinating before that i I think i think you will now i I bet you a few people are going to go back and look at those uh, issues and like you were saying like any issue like early on we're super patriot like either as many series and i was even while you were talking i was flipping through issue nine of savage dragon which we talked about where we're where Dave Johnson drew some of the guns, but it's also pretty heavily featuring Super Patriot and the sound effects on there. Yeah, make up like half of the backgrounds almost. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. it's it's a piece of the art. It's yeah. it's amazing, and I would now I would love to see the original art to that issue. You know, it's got to be gorgeous. Yeah. So, uh, shall we? Uh, Oh, go ahead, Jim. I just found it interesting that Walt Simonson's seminal run on Thor is connected to my, the the latest Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> kind of <laughs> yeah, for sure. <clears throat> oh, and uh, if people are uh, interested, uh, pick up Spawn uh, Four. I think it is. Just check out, re- re- look over Spawn Four. Look at the lettering in that issue. It's fun as hell. Spawn big, 4, which one was big that? Big fight between Spawn and Violator. I think it's okay. probably their first yeah. real fight. And there's a page where it's just sound effects, really. And then nice. and then Melbolgia shows up, and he's got his weird voice that he talks in. And, um, you know, he Tom did that all by hand, just as Chris Eliopoulos had to letter all of God's uh, de- and the Devil's script when they showed up in Savage Dragon yeah, 31 yeah, with all right, the right, like, old when, English. T- oh my god, yeah, it's yeah, taken for yeah. fucking ever. But it's beautiful stuff. So yeah, uh, Spawn 4 and Savage Dragon 31, definitely two good lettering books to look at. So I guess we should get into talking about 186. Yes, let's do that. Savage Dragon 186. Um, immediately I find the, the cover to this one fairly interesting because it's got a speech bubble on it. You don't really see that anymore. Except yeah. I'm really here. Yeah, and I think Eric's a big fan of those old DC books where you just kind of have something that, some kind of little bubble on there that, that's going to want to make you open the page, open the book and, and see what the hell they're talking about and yeah, I know. Like a lot of those uh, Batman and Superman comics had that kind of dialogue in the front. Yeah, this almost feels like a, a, a '60s or '70s Marvel, or even DC. I almost want to think it. I almost want to say it's like a like an old style romance comic in the way it's like, you know, 
frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do wish that that Eric would use like vicious circle guys. It, like it seems like as like time's gone by with Savage Dragon, Eric's more goes more towards just the generic baddie, the kind of abomination looking guy with the fish ears. The, yeah, the fish ears, just you know, the scroll chin or whatever. Yeah, yeah Gavin, um, get, Gavin, you gotta get on his case about that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think for longtime fans or whatever, it would have been nice to see, you know, and it would have made it more appealing to see, you know, some VC goons like like the guys he features in the interiors, you know. But hey, it's still a cool cover. I like the contrast and all the colors, so they look like a bunch of skittles or something. Purple, red, and green, and brown and stuff. It looks neat. I think the light effects look cool. Is this also uh, a swipe of one of Eric's Defender covers? It looks like, yeah. It, it does look like one, but I'm not sure if it... It's it, not, like, dead on, but it's, you know, it's definitely got that, you know, bunch of guys grabbing onto one guy and people in the distance kind of brushing them off. But yeah, there is a Defenders cover that looks kind of like this. So we open up the, the book with uh, Flash and Powerhouse talking. We know uh, Flash has recently lost his Overlord armor and, and uh, Powerhouse has saved him from the police and has kind of taken him under his wing, no pun intended. Or maybe it was, I don't know. Um, but they're talking and basically they're like, you know, uh, <laughs> Powerhouse is making fun of uh, uh, Flash for having his wacky faux dragon costume and talking to him about not having respect. And he's like, trust me, I'm the king of no respect with his chicken head. And uh, <laughs> sounds, you know, it sounds like they're making moves to try to reclaim the vicious circle and push it more in a way of coexisting with, you know, uh, normal humans. Um and they start talking about uh, the kids of Vicious Circle, and Flash is like, "Wait, kids?" Which is weird to me because he was the head of the Vicious Circle. How does he not know about the kids? You know, so were the kids in hiding, or what was going on with that? Um, uh, you guys have any idea on that? Or well, I just took it to mean um, that they're not in Vicious Circle exactly yet, because he says okay. they're the Vicious Circle, the next generation. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it's possible I'm, Flash just didn't, you know, care. Yeah. Right. Pay attention. Who knows? Yeah. yeah his his um situational awareness probably wasn't the best. Right. 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 And so we end up meeting the kids because they're working. I guess they took pieces of the Overlord armor to to make weapons out of. I guess it doesn't really function as a suit anymore, or they just want to pull the suit apart so that nobody else, you know grabs it uh and we meet open faces son or uh clone i guess uh i don't know if they're all clones but uh there's like an open face kid there's octopus's kid there's inferno's kid and dung has two mutant looking kids and i thought it was funny yeah well i thought it was funny getting to that it's like you know, uh, Powerhouse introduces them all as like Peter Brown's Open Face Jr. and Octopus's sons, Waylon Whipple and Inferno's daughters, Rachel Pyle. And then du- Dung's offspring are Dumpling and Blossom. They don't have like normal <laughs> names. Well, 
Dumpling is a pun. <laughs> Dumpling is a... Yeah, I know. Blossom's just funny because it's like the opposite... Yeah, smell like a pile of shit, <laughs> <laughs> and they look like big blobs of poo. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, they don't even look human. Two things: I'm slightly disappointed that Octopus's kid is a boy. I believe I talked about that in the past. That I you know, was kind of assuming it was a girl. The long yeah. hair tricked me. But I'm also slightly disappointed that they all kind of seem to be, you know, miniature versions of their parents. I was kind of hoping for more like. Double page new goons, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah. Um, Just seems kind of convenient. It almost, it almost, it almost comes, I mean, it isn't, but it almost feels like a resurrection in some respects. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit too convenient. I mean, I dig it, but I hope these are the only ones. Yeah, yeah. I think it's cool. That, like, I think we all know that Octopus's son's going to have the. Big octopus tentacles underneath that trench coat. Well, he keeps, you know, he, he notice, and every time we see him, his hands are in his, uh, his, uh, pockets. pockets. Maybe he's got, like, tentacle hands. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah. I and mean, I, so are all those kids' parents dead except for Dung's? Yeah, Dung's still kicking. I, I think Inferno's dead. Yeah. So, anyway, I mean, Flash gets introduced to the kids, and they basically blow him off, call him a weirdo. I wonder if they think he's had... weird just because he's dressed like a 1960s uh, anime <laughs> character, racer. or because he's got a D <laughs> on his chest. He's like a wannabe dragon. Yeah. What kind of villain wants to look like the hero? Yeah. We get a cool splash this issue, uh... Full uh, double page splash, a claw, busting up a bunch of vicious circle goons and poor thunderheads in the background. Like, you know, you got to cut it out. Kind of uh, freaking out that claws just decimating the vicious circle. Yeah. That, that one guy with all the, the glass, that, that's Shard, right? He's, yeah. he's kind of a background freak we've been seeing forever. Yeah, well, isn't Adam, I don't know if you remember, but isn't he supposedly related to Smasher, like her brother, or is that Bloop, not Shard? That's Animal. Isn't um, Animal and Bloop brothers? Oh, maybe. Yeah, Animal and Bloop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, so never yeah. mind. It's not Shard, though. Yeah. But isn't that... the Bloop's on this page, I think. The guy kind of looks like Silver Surfer. He's got yeah, his yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yep. Anyway. The, sorry uh, about that. Dragon punches him in that one issue. Punches him into... Yeah. Into little uh, droplets of water everywhere. Right, right, right. You said he's related so, to Jennifer. Yeah, there's there's a link somewhere that, and it's not really said in the book. There's a part where when Dryden talks to Jennifer's mom, she mentions her two brothers, which also have the same name as Animal and Bloop, I believe, or somewhere. I I'd have to look into it, but. Somewhere it's discussed that there's a good chance that they're brothers and sister. Yeah, in the old um, in the old uh, Megaton comics, um, they were they were, uh, and obviously that continuity is not relevant to this. But uh, um, the animal and maybe Bloop too were in the um, 
the SOS, um, which was uh, Society of Superheroes, uh, not, not Special Operations Strike Force, but is this basically the same organization, and um, and it's clear that they're siblings with Jennifer and, and that. And, um, and then I think it's the issue, the issue where uh, the crossover Savage Dragon issue with Godland with Adam Archer shows up. I think it's that issue where Dragon talks to Jennifer Murphy's mom mm. and she mentions something about her brothers, mm. like Cletus and something, which are like Animal and Bloops, like real names, I think, or it's inferred or it's – there's something there. It's not crystal clear, but – There's an issue somewhere where they say um, Wilson – like it, because her name in the old comics wasn't Jennifer Murphy; it was like Sue Wilson or something like that. And yeah. I thought that in that scene, when Dragon's talking to her mom, it, her name is Wilson, and I don't remember. I, yeah, yeah, I don't I, know. I, I might just be combining stuff. Savage Fincast, yeah. the most well-researched <laughs> podcast on the internet. <laughs> yep, yep. Gavin, anyway, shaking his fist. Yeah, write us in if we're wrong. Tell us what, what we're wrong about Lambastos. Well, at some point, this is this is probably some kind of thread that will be that that may be developed because it looked like he was starting to explore it earlier. Whether or not it has the same, they have the same relationship that they did in the old uh, old comics. So moving along, uh, we get uh, Angel talking to her dad uh dragon who's in prison and basically saying goodbye uh she's going to uh dc to go join uh special operations strike force and that's gonna dragon, be that's gonna be interesting cool. I'm, I'm really curious if we're gonna be we're gonna continue to see her or if we're not gonna see her for a while right we get a few more scenes with some interaction between uh Malcolm and Maxine. Um, Another one of those kind of nice, just them being teenagers scenes. It's just, yeah, you know, it's yeah, just a page yeah. of them, just nothing exciting. It's just them bonding, which right, is kind right. of cool. We get a few. Uh, it, it, it's funny because this page name drops uh, the new GI Joe movie, GI Joe Retaliation. It kind of so it kind of yeah. like ties it into real world events. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and know. It puts don't... a time period on it, like yeah, like in twenty years, is anyone going to remember that movie? Yeah, but it's cool because it works in real time. So yeah, you know, it's not like you know uh, Malcolm's going to be sixteen ten years from now, and people are going to be like, "What the hell?" Like in Fantastic Four, when Johnny Storm drives away in a you know nineteen sixties Corvette, and you know, <laughs> it's a brand new car and whatever, you know. But anyway, um. Moving on, we, get, we have a, uh, another double-page splash. I'm sorry, are we going to say more about no, that? No, no, yeah, no, that's fine. We, um, that, which is the this, surprise, this, sorry. This is the one, this is the big surprise. This is the one no, none of us saw coming. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's one of the greatest splashes in the book. I think it's freaking awesome. I turned that page and my jaw dropped. Yeah. It's, uh... It's not even like anything like super detailed close up like de- it's detailed but it's not like it's dragon like punching a guy or anything it's most of the details that you look at are the background which is you know it looks like the Krillian Krillin ship just crashed into uh 
what do you call it? Calyptus uh, on fire, Tyranian, you know, uh, soldiers just ripping apart Krylons. It's it's awesome. Just I love the way the the the, the infrastructure of the city looks like. It's like these weird kind of canals. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's Krull. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even get that at first. I I just thought it was some so, random. I'm uh, pretty sure most dra- mo- most uh, dragon people don't have biceps like that. No, I know. And it, you know, I just I don't know why I just glanced over it like that. And then reading on the forum, I was like, yeah, you know what? It is him. It has to be. I mean. Yeah, I almost didn't want to believe it. <laughs> and this looks like a pretty final death because we it's it's pretty much been established that brain damage doesn't heal. Right. And we yeah, see a yeah. ga- ga- gaping hole in Crawl's uh, head. Yeah, Crawl's dead. Crawl's <laughs> dead. It's it's just a really powerful splash. I, I just I really really I love the coloring. I love how everything's got that mm-hmm. red. It's just a huge explosion. The ship's like on fire. It's, you know, you, you got that Kirby kind of crackle explosion. Things are blowing up. The ship's just like bent in half, torn apart. Bodies everywhere. It's yeah. it's just neat. It, it really is like one of those times where I turned the page and was like, "What the f?" Right. Like, well, like you said, this was something that no, I think nobody saw coming. Um, yeah, I think we all just kind of assumed that they were going to settle and Calyptus would be the new dragon utopia and. Vanguard would visit and have wacky adventures. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out it's a lot darker. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I thought Eric kind of just wanted to kind of let the Krylons be for a while and focus more on Earth and, you know. I mean, maybe that's still the plan, but, you know, in the back of your head, you're like, wow, this the whole civilization's wiped out and basically dragons the douchebag that sent them there and sent them to their death because they really them and you know said, oh, yeah. you guys can handle it <laughs> right. You're good. And yeah it's kind like, of it wow. took took all of the you know committed genocide on the you know tyranians that were on the planet after they had just wiped out vanguard's people and assuming right. that you know they wouldn't there wouldn't be more out there because they they were invaders that wasn't their home planet and the, assuming that you know, oh, well, these guys aren't going to we just wipe these guys out. You know, there's not going to be any retaliation or something. There wasn't a lot of, obviously, um, worry about what, the potential consequences of doing that. And uh, R.R. Richards was right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and every one of these people died a horrible death. They got ripped to shard, you know, shreds. It's pretty crazy. This was a, a pretty gory scene. Cool Anyone as hell. Notice the building in the background that looks like uh, Powerhouse's, Powerhouse's head. head? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they built a, a, a you know statue to Powerhouse for some reason. Maybe they're chicken head <laughs> worshippers. Yeah. <laughs> um, the last thing I just want to say about this is that um, I like seeing the ship there because you know we've seen this ship intermittently for years now, and it's always yeah. You know, uh, there's that establishing shot where it's the same picture of the it's ship, like same stat, like stat, like right, laid on top of seen. different space scenes and things. And it's, yeah. there's always been this like big thing of, you know, here is the, you know, arc essentially carrying dragons race, and and it's this big symbolic thing. And 
now it's just fucking garbage and they've just destroyed yeah. it. And um, I love the the um, you know page turn go for the jugular thing that can still happen in this book. That the one little detail I also like on this page is kind of like that foreground like piece of metal shard mm-hmm. like on the second page. It's just it's a neat little touch mm-hmm. with the with the with the Tyranians like f- like close up on their face in that corner, just like all the jagged teeth. It's like really menacing. It's it's cool. Definitely one of my favorite splashes of the series. Yep, yep. And it and it doesn't even feature like dragon or anything in it, but. It was powerful. And, uh, you know, speaking of gory, we, we see uh, Claw flashback, and he's ripping apart some poor vicious circle member and tugging <laughs> his intestines out. And It almost seems like Thunderhead is commenting on the previous page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of doing that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You can't just tear everybody to pieces and take over the world. It's pretty funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's like you could almost be talking about that previous scene. But uh, speaking of uh, fonts, you know, this is kind of like uh, uh, the clause fonts on, on his lettering. I, I don't know if uh, that was an established uh, lettering font that Chrissy had in his, uh, in his bag of tricks or if he had to design this especially for... Yeah, I'm not sure either, but it works well. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, uh, did is it was it ever said exactly why Claw was on a rampage? Is he is he just trying to strike fear into the vicious circle's heart or something? I mean, he's just kind of just sort of rampaging. Trying to, he's like one of those guys who just want to dominate the world, and I think he's just. I, I believe it's just kind of like a world domination thing where he's kind of back from the dead and he's uh, going to try to take control. I think probably one of the targets is to take take out the vicious circle. Probably knows about him through Thunderhead. I don't know if he wants to take the reins of the vicious circle and start there with an army or something like that, but I don't know. I mean, was it? do you, do you remember if anything was really said? No, he just sort of shows up and powerhouse is surprised and yeah he just seems, i guess he's just you know trying to establish dominance through violence right right maybe not even necessarily to control them just to sort of frighten them i don't know yeah i'm liking his line in this last panel you know when thunderhead mentions daredevil he's like daredevil my most hated enemy you know and probably just imagine that in some awesome monster voice but uh i want to see daredevil like in real danger and like this he's setting up claw as um a pretty brutal monstrous opponent especially in this issue and um you know daredevil's gone through phases where you know he's pretty milquetoast and um part of what's fun about bringing these characters into this book is playing with that and taking like the little wise guys and then just all of a sudden brutally murdering them by having (laughs) chop off guy's head and, um, and putting them in in this world. And I think he's also done a good job of trying to turn the claw into an actual scary monster villain and not just a racist caricature, 
With yeah, which, I was going to say that too. The claw, like, you know, varied from his appearances back in, you know, the golden age. He was the yellow claw. And at times he was just this, just most obscene uh, kind of, um, you know, stereotype uh, monster, uh, Asian monster guy. And, and he doesn't really have, um, he's like sort of kept a lot of that, the, his facial features while, shedding um that terrible baggage i think and i I think that's something that's hard to do and most people would stay away from it when they did um the silver issue of silver street comics with the the next issue project michael t gilbert turned the claw into a um you know is is sort of capitalist yeah so sort of social uh commentary on the on the character and, and it's fun it's very funny and i remember reading it and going yeah, a lot of people wouldn't have the balls to touch this, and and Eric is trying to do it right by, you know, taking him into a new, making him into you know an actual villain and not just this, this um, you know, this thing that that most of us are ashamed of as part of our history. And and um, anyway, I'm really glad to see the Claw being totally evil and brutal, and, and I want to see him have a big awesome showdown with Daredevil. Yeah, and, and Eric's made little tweaks to the character to make him even kind of cooler looking. You know, I think yeah. he's got rid of those like weird like giant eyelashes that you know some of the older comics have him with, and he's just made a few tweaks here and there, and he, he's still recognizable as the Claw, but he looks a lot more menacing. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, there's a bit here with um, Angel saying yeah. Captain Stewart <laughs> called it some kind of yellow menace. And Malcolm gets all insulted because his girlfriend's Chinese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is one panel – there's a couple panels here I like on uh, this quick little fight between Daredevil and Claw. I love when Claw punches Daredevil and basically um, Angel grabs him with like one hand by the foot. It kind of just demonstrates how strong she is. Like he's flying through the air and she just grabs him. Snatches him out of the air so he doesn't collide into like a wall or something, which is pretty cool. Like action sequence. Surprise! His yep. foot didn't rip off. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the other one is I, I get a kick out of when when like Eric draws like eye beam laser blast or something, and I think the one with the claw shooting the blast out of his eyes where you got like the spirally type yeah. lightning around it. It just uh, it's real dynamic and fun. And, you know, it, it, Eric draws really good action scenes, really fluid and really cool. Um, we should, so these, these two panels have a couple of sound effects in the new digital style. I just, you know, mm. I'm, I'm kind of looking at them and they seem kind of, I don't know, flat to what we're Yeah, that's to. what I'm saying. It, it's just, you know, you're used to these hand-lettered, you know, effects and you look at them and these effects, uh, they work. I mean, okay, here on this page here with uh, Claw punching uh, Daredevil and Malcolm jumping in, if you look, um, the the Thum, the word Thum appears twice, and if you look at them... Which, uh, I don't know where you... Sorry, what's the... I don't have page number. I don't know, it doesn't have page numbers. What's on the panels on the page? It's got the Claw punching... It's the one with Angel catching Daredevil by the foot. You see the top panel says Thum, and at the bottom it says Shrakathum. Mm-hmm. Both thooms are identical. Just one's been, you know, the one's bigger and one's smaller. They... Yeah. 
I guess. I don't know. I can't. I, they look a little bit different to me, but oh, yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're, they're different. different. I guess. Um, he he used the same font, but he distorted it differently. It looks like he arranged the the H the, the same way with the uh, the T. Yeah, the, I, I think where you're gonna get the difference is, I think what what does it where it stands out for me is the line weight on some of these it's not it's definitely not like an inked kind of line it, it's just mm-hmm. a thinner line weight and it just makes it look flatter yeah and that's I don't actually know if, probably if i'm looking at it the wrong way maybe adam you can tell me no no i agree with you and and that's actually something that i struggle with constantly on my stuff is 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 making the lines look like the a, th- a thickness that matches doesn't necessarily match the line work but doesn't look out of place with it and yeah um I mean, there are whole th- yeah, host of things you can do. Like you can make the line look rougher, and 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 to make it look more organic, and all kinds of stuff. And um, I, I think as the um, issues move forward, and they're not being produced or they're not being lettered in a few hours, uh, but they're you know he has a nice chunk of time. Um, I think this will uh, will get a lot more. Um, integrated and will like it better and and uh, i'm sure they'll get into a groove again that they, they work really well together and and obviously they've worked together a lot and um yeah i i, I think it, it'll improve the one thing i noticed you know all through this battle is one thing that could be a little confusing with all the foreshortening is it's hard sometimes to tell that it's actually the claw growing in size Sometimes it's like, is this a foreshortening thing? Because it could work both ways. And then there's one panel where you see Malcolm throwing like a, you know, a piece of a building at, you know, uh, the claw's head. And then you're like, oh, that's because he's a giant now. And it's right. like, some of it was a little tough to tell. You know, is is it because you know the claw's flying off the panel and it's foreshortening, or is he really, you know, a giant? And uh, maybe for those who don't know that claw has is at least in the old books, his powers were that he could, you know, increase his size to, to giant like size, which I guess, you know, Eric's kept that because it's definitely, you can definitely tell he's a giant, but, um, some of the panels were a little like, what's going on? You know, is he a giant or isn't he? But, um, that was pretty funny as I blast basically just, torch all of uh, angel's uh, costume so she's just running around naked she finds a flag to wrap around herself which is oh, kind of well, like was, a little was was that was that an eye I mean, blast she caught for some reason i thought he punched her so hard her costume just <laughs> no. <laughs> no if you look at one of the panels it's, you could see him clearly blasting her that's funny oh oh yeah and actually now that i look closer i now see his head in the background you're right i don't know i just, yeah. I just didn't notice the head yeah yeah he shoots him and, uh, you know, Thunderhead kind of is a cool character. He, he reminds me of, like, a younger powerhouse. He's a complex character. He's He's got issues where, you know, he's connected to the vicious circle, but he clearly has a good heart. Yeah. Uh, and, he, you know, he always gets kind of mixed into it. You know, it's just unfortunate events. He always gets kind of sucked back into, like, the villain role when I think it's pretty clear that, he just wants to be a normal dude. I, I think we saw in past issues he tried to hold down a normal job, and things just don't work out for him. 
he obviously feels responsible partly for the claw and and because and of part of it is graveyard and so and he can't get away from the claws the other part though yeah. i mean he seems like he tries to walk away and claws like you know he's gonna like kill him yeah i'll be really interested to see where thunderhead goes in the future because i, I agree he's he's a lot more uh interesting than just kind of one-dimensional character and uh, he's also got the connection to to Malcolm with Rapture being his mom, and yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, he's also got a really badass design, so he could be a really yeah, cool I, villain or a cool hero, and we need to see what happens with him. I really like when you have like heroes that look like they should be villains. You know, like a guy with a skull face or whatever. You know. Right. It's, it's I, I think that's neat. It's a neat dynamic when uh, you get, you know, is obviously in comic books, there's a lot of times when you draw a villain, you have this certain look, they have to look evil. But um, to have that little twist where he's actually a good guy, it's kind of neat. And uh, so moving along, you know, I guess, you know, uh, Claw kind of wrecks havoc and he's just like, for some reason, he's had enough, and he decides he's got to take off. Uh, I guess he can't find Daredevil. Daredevil's kind of hiding in the rubble, taking care of Angel. And to harken back to what we were talking about, you know, I think his main goal is world domination because you look at one of these panels, he's he's a giant. He plucks up Thunderhead in his hand, and he's like, you know, Daredevil's hiding. The others are dead. Come, a world awaits. So... You know, just to reiterate, it looks like his plan is world domination. Yeah, but what does that even mean, really? I mean, I think that's sort of what the running thing with uh, the claw is going to be, is that his adjustment to, you know, he's got a kind of a simplistic idea of what world domination means, and Thunderhead's trying to educate him a little bit on how complex it could be. Yeah, so I'm seriously going to wonder, you know, how, much, how, how far he's actually going to get in this little plan of his. Yeah, I mean... I guess there probably were a lot less superheroes when he was alive and doesn't realize, you know, how the world's changed. Yep. So, uh, Daredevil and the Angel get their smoochy smooch on. (laughs) (laughs) That's sort of something that's been building for a while is that, you know, Angel had a crush on Daredevil for a while, but then he she thought he was too old and thought he was creepy, and now we've come full circle again. And now she's leaving. Yep, now she sticks to her guns and decides to leave anyway. I think, uh, I don't know, seems like a pretty mature thing to do. Yeah, I think she thinks, you know, this is the right move. And, you know, there's all this crap that she's they've gone through recently especially with dragon going to prison and and you know she needs to have a life that's not just having to do with cleaning up dragon's mess or malcolm's mess or whatever and and um i think she's she's trying to be the adult right yeah it'll be interesting to see where a character goes in their relationship because it's certainly an interesting development um so yeah can't wait to see more of that. I wonder how Daredevil is going to take it. Really, right. I got a hunch we're going to see more of him in the near future than her. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Then uh, Dragon gets the bad news. Uh, apparently, uh, there's some survivors. Yeah, Lorella shows up and tells him all about what happened. Well, she shows up in hologram form. Uh, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I should. So they must have gotten away in you know some sort of tech technology of some kind. But uh, they're heading straight for Earth, so we got to wonder how that's going to shake out. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me what you guys think about it, because I think a lot of people that I saw in Larson's forum or just posts, people took it as what she was saying here, like, oh, I'm not sure if our race will endure. I'm heading on a ship towards Earth. Try not to get yourself killed before I get there. The future of our species depends on it. And I, some people took that as, oh, she's heading straight there to copulate, to, to make the species survive. I kind of read it differently and just as like I'm coming to get you you got to come like help fight the battle on you know I think Calyptus she's coming to like find survivors <laughs> strangle them to death <laughs> why you Yeah uh, well, how did you guys how did you do I assume she was coming to bang it out Yeah but <laughs> yeah I don't I don't know why you know I just assumed that she was coming to grab and saying you know we need to well, I think, I think the, a lot of people took it the way you not, took it, Adam. It's, it's the our race will not endure line. It sort of suggests yeah. that reproduction is sort of a priority now. Yeah, I guess. I, but, I took uh, it as we need your, your ass back over on Calyptus to help get survivors. and. But maybe, yeah, maybe a lot of people took plan. it the way you took it, Adam, I think. <laughs> well, maybe maybe both things are on the agenda. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Cool. So that that wraps up uh, the main story of issue 186, which is pretty damn cool. I think Savage Dragon's been on a roll. Um, just real quick before we wrap up this episode, uh, I wanted to mention that I did uh, do a quick check online, and the cover, uh, this issue's cover, is a direct uh, homage, uh, self homage to Eric's uh, Defenders number five. Cool. Right on. So, yeah. Uh, next episode, uh, we'll be talking about Savage Dragon 187. Uh, the solicitation reads, The Vicious Circle Rising, a glimpse into the lives of Chicago's notorious criminal organization. For decades, the Vicious Circle has all but ruled the Windy City. Now, at last, we enter their world and see through their eyes. We see their struggles, their fears, the obstacles they face. Introducing the sons and daughters of the Vicious Circle, we see the crime family they were born to inherit and the forces who oppose them. Um, and the conclusion of the Zeke backup. Um, we're running a little bit long this time, and so uh, rather than covering Zeke Part 1 from Savage Dragon 186, we're going to roll both Zeke chapters into uh, one big Zeke talk next time, and we're going to talk a little bit to Scribe slash Savage Dragon editor Gavin Higginbotham and uh, see if he can give some insight into uh, his work with uh, Frank Fosco on this fun little backup. Um, and so that's all coming next time. Um, it should be fun. Uh, I look forward to, to hearing from Gavin about, you know, his first experience, you know, collaborating and, and writing a backup as well as, you know, maybe we can talk to him about his role as editor and see how that's uh, been working out for him. Yeah, and um, I also meant to say this earlier, but um, because we spent a lot of time talking about Chris Iliopoulos, and um, I was talking about his 
you know, cartooning that he does. And I was very, very remiss in not mentioning his amazing book, Cowboy, uh, that he does with uh, Nate Cosby for Archaea, um, which is up for an Eisner um, for, uh, I think, um, best comic for uh, kind of kids ages 8 to 12. And uh, so the first volume is, is out from Archaea, and there's a lot of it that's free online, Cowboy. Um, you guys should definitely check that out. Cool. Cool. So don't forget to uh, send us your questions, comments, suggestions. Again, if you want to yell at us for getting something wrong, send us a note at savagefincast at gmail.com. We'd love to uh, hear what you have to say, and uh, there's a good chance we'll read your letters over uh, the next episode. The Savage Fincast is a part of the Gutter Trash Network and the Image Addiction family of podcasts. It can be found at either fincast.guttertrash.net or imageaddiction.net.